encourage you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. I think after that song, we ought to just start with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, may this be our heart. Jesus, only Jesus, help me trust you more and more. Jesus, only Jesus, may my heart be ever yours. Lord, that's our prayer here this morning, that you would work in our hearts, that we see you for who you are, and that we would learn to trust you more and more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're getting close. We're getting close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually coming to the end today of Jesus' description of the kingdom of God within the Sermon on the Mount. Next week, we're going to address who's in and who's out of the kingdom. And so we'll leave that for Pastor Keith next week. But this week, as we, as we look back and we have spent a couple months now in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and what we have found is that the, the kingdom standards that, that Jesus has been describing and calling us to is maybe much higher than we would first expect. And the reason for, for this is that Jesus challenges our hearts, not just our outward behavior. And that's harder. He gives us insight on, on how our lives should reflect our relationship with God, just not conformity to some sort of religious standard. And so here again this morning, it will be no different because Jesus is going to challenge, I believe, our conception of prayer and how it relates to God. And so I wonder if you've ever prayed for something. You've ever prayed for something, but then you felt like, God didn't come through. He didn't answer. Or didn't answer in a way that makes any sense to you anyway. Maybe you're going through a challenging time in your life, a difficult situation. Maybe you had a legitimate need. So you, so you did what you were supposed to do. You did what the Sunday school teachers told you to do. You did what the pastors told you to do. You prayed. You went to God and brought your need to Him. And nothing happened. Or maybe things got worse. What do you do then? Because it's in those moments that, that we enter into dangerous territory. When our prayers go unanswered, or at least not answered in the way that we want or anticipate, we are tempted to doubt God. We look up to the sky and say, God, like, did you even hear my prayer? God. What are you doing? God, do you even care about me in this situation? God, where are you? God, do you even exist? What was the point of praying if you didn't do anything? What do you do? Have you ever been there before? If we're honest, I mean, I have. I don't know if I've ever yelled at God before, but I've been there where I've been praying for something or I'm expecting God to do something and it just doesn't happen or doesn't seem to work like it should have worked. And if you've been there before, and odds are you might be there again, I think this is the sermon for you today. Not because I have this topic figured out. I surely don't. But I am hopeful that we 
will both be encouraged and challenged by the words of Jesus here this morning. This is an important passage. Because if we're not careful in how we approach our text here this morning, these six verses, we might just be setting ourselves up for more disappointment, more frustrations, and more doubt. We may end up more frustrated than when we started. You'll see what I mean as we look at our first two verses of the passage. It's Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Those are definite statements. You do this, this will happen. And so we need to be careful to avoid the danger that comes with misinterpreting or misapplying this text outside of its context. There are at least two dangers present here behind these verses. We've already addressed the first, that when God doesn't answer our prayer, we might blame Him for not fulfilling this promise or these promises, which then leads to doubt and anger and frustration and all of those things. The other danger present behind these verses would be to take this promise, these two verses, in the completely opposite direction. And so maybe I could help us understand by by demonstrating with with a little prayer. You don't need to bow your heads and close your eyes. I actually wouldn't recommend it. This is how we might pray. Dear Jesus, you have said in your word that if I ask, you'll give it to me. So... I'm asking. I am asking for a new truck. I mean, the one I have now is nicer than the last one I had, but I really would like to have one that's a little newer, a little nicer, and a little bigger. In fact, God, yesterday, yesterday, I think you probably already know, I I was looking at the 2022 Ford Super Duty F250, and something like that would just be great. You know, in case you missed that moment, I put it up on the screen for you, God. In case you, in case you need reference there. And, and what I would really like is the limited edition. That's the, not the platinum. The limited is actually a little bit better. It has the 6.7 liter Power Stroke Turbo Diesel. It's got the 4x4 off-road, the trailer tow packages. It's got 20-inch polished aluminum wheels. And God, I could really use the heated leather seats. <laughs> You know I was born in Texas and I can't do the cold Missouri winter. It, it's a need, Lord. It's a need. And I mean, I guess you could pick the color. I would really prefer the carbon gray or even the star white, but I won't be picky. The one I was looking at yesterday, God, it was just under $100,000. I know it seems like a lot, and it is a lot, so I'm definitely going to need you to give it to me. Just like you said in Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Because as you know, Lord, I work at a church, and it just cannot fit in the budget. I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking, I'm waiting for you to open this door for me. 
and sooner would be better. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for that. Where two or three are gathered. Right there. Now listen. I'm glad you're laughing because that, you, you understand that that's absurd. Even though that is a very nice truck. Ninety-something thousand dollars is also absurd. Okay, but we won't go there. But this is the other danger, however exaggerated, in these verses. If we rip it from its context, we might be tempted to treat God as if he is a vending machine. But that will lead us right back to where we started with the other danger, disillusioned, dejected, despondent, doubting. You know, it's easy because we can laugh and chuckle why God might not answer that kind of prayer. Even though I could do a lot of ministry with that truck. <laughs> God, stop talking about the truck. But how do we handle these verses when it, we're not asking for a truck? It's something legitimate. It's something that seems good. It seems something that God would want. And we've been praying for it, and now I'm still not getting the answer. What do we do with those feelings of disappointment and discouragement? Especially when it says right here in these two verses, everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. And here's the hard truth for some of us here this morning. To understand that being frustrated or angry with God about unanswered prayers, even good ones, come from the same place, come from the same root as someone praying for a truck and they being mad at God that they didn't get it. It comes from the, the same place. They're really not that different. I hope as we go through, we'll, we'll understand and unpack that a little more. But the key for us will be to remember to keep these verses in their appropriate context. And what is the appropriate context? The appropriate context is the Sermon on the Mount. And what is Jesus doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount? He's describing kingdom principles. He's describing what the kingdom of God looks like in the life of the believer. And I would like to suggest that while Jesus is certainly talking about prayer, Jesus is giving us some deeper insight, not only into prayer, but into the very character and nature of God. To be more specific, he is telling us three qualities about God the Father and how these qualities should shape how we pray, how we respond to him, and then how we live. And so just to give you a warning, we're already ten minutes in, and the first point is the bulk of it. Because if we can get a good handle on the first point, then the other two just flow right out of it. So don't get too concerned when it's almost time to go. We're still in point number one, okay? So what do we learn? What are these three qualities of the Father that Jesus, I believe, is teaching us? Number one, our Father wants us to ask Him. Jesus says, ask. Why? Because God wants us to. You know, this is not the first time that Jesus has talked about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Keith walked through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. is prefaced. Jesus basically says, hey, don't use a bunch of words thinking that that impresses God. Because he says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Well, then, you might think, well, then why do I even have to pray? Keith addressed that a little last time, and 
when we did the Sermon on the Mount, but I want to give us three reasons from this text why we should ask. Why should we ask? Number one, Jesus tells us to. Jesus has asked, so we should. We should ask knowing that God wants us to ask him. Jesus tells us to. There's this attribute of God. It's called his imminence. And what it speaks of, the imminence of God is that he is knowable, that we have the ability to know God. But, But now Jesus says not only can we know God, he says here that God wants us, God, to ask him, to get to know him. But then in getting to know him, we come to him with our requests. I think this is important because our willingness to ask reveals our level of intimacy with our father. You know, a kid who doesn't have a good relationship with his father, you know what he doesn't do? Ask for things. You know why? He's scared of how, what, how he'll react. How do you relate to the father? We'll talk about good dads and bad dads in a little bit, but specifically about God. If, if you're not going to God, if you're afraid to ask God, if you're not... Asking him, I think it's a sign of you're not very intimate with the Father who is knowable and calls us to ask on him. And so just even our asking reveals something about our intimacy with God, our Father. There's a story in the Chronicles of Narnia series. It's called, uh, by C.S. Lewis, called The Magician's Nephew. And basically, a boy and a girl and a winged horse are... Uh, sent out by Aslan, the lion who represents Christ in the story. The boy has got themselves in a pickle. They need to go on a journey to find an apple to get some seeds to plant some trees. And you'll have to read the story to figure out all, all the reasons. But here's the important part. They're flying. It's been flying all day. They're far from Narnia. It's getting dark. The kids are getting hungry. There's a boy, a girl riding a flying horse. Okay? The sun's going down. Everyone's hungry. So they They land. And the horse starts eating the grass and talking about how great the grass is. He says, hey, come on, you're hungry, let's eat. But it's a boy and a girl, not a boy horse and a girl horse. They're like, no, we, we can't eat grass. And so they're just like staring at each other in dismay. And so this is a conversation between the boy and the girl. The boy says, well, I do think someone might have arranged about our meals. The horse replies, I'm sure Aslan would have if you'd asked him. But then the little girl says, well, wouldn't he know without being asked? We're boys and girls, Aslan, smart. We're going to get hungry. The horse says, I have no doubt he would, said the horse. But I have a sort of an idea he likes to be asked. I think this is what Jesus is saying. No, God doesn't need you to pray. He invites us to pray. He wants us to ask. What else does it do for us? Why should we ask? It shows thoughtfulness. It allows us to actually think about what we're asking. Have you ever thought about what do you really want from God? What do you really want from God? If I put you on the spot right now, what do you want? Do you have an answer? Could you articulate it? Have you thought about it? This is how we're supposed to approach God. And and if we're asking, that means we've thought about it, we've articulated it, we've considered it, and now we've brought it to him. Half the time, I'm convinced, maybe I don't even know what I want, which is why I'm not getting answers, because I don't know what I'm even asking. So we should think about what we are asking. One of the things that we are trying to teach our children, like, it's always okay to ask. There's two reasons for that. 
I want to make sure that they actually want the thing they think they want. And they're going to have to take that step to ask for it. But you know what it also does is it allows me to respond. It allows me to get down on their level and say, hey, I hear you. Hey, I see you. Uh, No, but I hear you. I see you. Or yes. It, again, is focused on what? Relationship. Not some, oh, sir, I have to ask this. No, it's a picture of relationship and intimacy. And see, what Jesus is doing, he's not just giving us an insight into how to pray, but into the heart of the Father for relationship with his children. This is who God is. And then it displays humility. We ought to ask God. But sometimes we don't. James 4, 2, you have, you have not because you ask not. Yeah, you can have a whole bunch of stuff. Except you never asked for it. Why not? Um, pride. That pretty much sums it up. We're self-sufficient. I mean, think about it. What do you really need? You've got the cars. You've got the homes. We've got doctors. We've got vaccines. We've got medicines. We have Google. I can pull out my phone right now and have a whole host of answers. What do I need to go to God for? We've got insurance. We've got a retirement plan. What do I need? If we're not careful, that causes us not to go to God, not to ask. And really, it's just a form of pride. And before long, we've realized that, yeah, I don't really go to God for anything. Well, this might explain why God isn't answering any of your prayers. Because you're not asking. Maybe it's because you're too proud. Why should we ask? He wants us to. It it demonstrates our understanding of his desire for relationship. It displays humility. Then, how? How then should we ask? Verse 7 and 8 really give us two important aspects of what I would say effective prayer. First one, prayer is progressive. There's a sequence. Ask, then seek, then knock. The intensity increases as we continue to pray to the Father. Jeremiah 29, 13 speaks to this concept where the Lord speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's an increasing intensity. And the other implication of this sequence or progression, ask, then seek, then knock, means Jesus expects us to get through the progression, at least with some things. So yeah, maybe today I ask for something and God, boom, answers that. Awesome. And then I pray tomorrow and I don't get an answer. Well, what should I do? Ask again, but then seek. What do I seek? Number one, Information. The answer could already be right here. Should I date an unbeliever? You don't need to pray about that. No. Should I get drunk on Friday night? God is not a magic eight ball, and why would you ask? He says it in his word. Seek it out. But we shouldn't just be seeking out information. We may learn our answer by seeking out again who God is. And as we learn more about who God is, we might have an answer revealed, 
Or we might realize we've been praying for the wrong thing. And now my prayer shifts, and I don't need to pray about that, which I would say is an answer. You were the problem there. He transforms and works through the seeking of both his word and himself. And then sometimes you can stop there because you've got the answer. Now we're at a harder thing and now we're knocking. And I think this speaks to just there's an active participation with God. That he's going to call us to action. There there might be some physical response. We might have to put some work into it as we progress through praying for certain or specific things. The second aspect is closely related. Prayer is also persistent. So not only can we expect in some things that we need to progress through levels of intensity of our prayer, we also see that prayer is persistent. In the Greek, the verb tense is helpful. The the verb tense in the Greek is called present active imperative. You might recognize imperative. That's a command. You should do this. You must do this. It's, It's an imperative. So ask, seek, knock. They're all imperatives. But they're in the present active tense. And so really what this tells us is it's an ongoing, continuous action. There's an aorist tense where we would say it was like one and done, but this is an ongoing, continuous action. And so the verse could be expressed this way to kind of bring out the tenses of the verbs. Keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it will be open to you. There's a call here from Jesus to be persistent in prayer. And not surprisingly, this lines up exactly with Jesus' other teachings about prayer. You can go to Luke chapter 11, which is a similar passage, maybe even a parallel to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is describing a persistent man knocking on door because he needs some bread. He has a guest from out of town. This is his friend, but it's the middle of the night. He knocks on the door. What does the guy say? Go away. It's late. It's the middle of the night. My kids are sleeping. I'm not getting up and helping you. So what does the guy do? Knock, knock, knock. Finally, the guy gets up and gives the guy what he wants. Why? Because he was generous? No, because he, the dude was just persistent. And he got annoyed and he got up and, and gave the guy what he wanted. Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. There's a judge. The judge doesn't like God, doesn't care about God, doesn't really even care about anybody. But this widow needs justice. And so what does she do? She pesters the guy. Says, I need justice. I need justice. So what does he do? He gives her justice. Why? Because I'm pretty sure it literally says, because she bothered him so much. Now, why does Jesus tell those, those parables? And we don't want to take the analogy too long because I don't think he was saying we need a bug or annoy God until he gives us what, us, what we want. That was not the point. He tells us the point, though. It's Luke 18.1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Prayer is persistent. We, we should expect that it may be difficult at times, and it will, will progress. And sometimes it will feel like we're just beating on a closed door, but don't lose heart. Be persistent in our prayer. And then lastly, from these two verses, we also can answer the question, what should we ask for? And this is maybe the most important, significant piece of today. What should we ask for? 
Because unfortunately, from contending, it's not going to be the truck. First, there are two passages that inform or constrict our prayers and and the things that we pray for. Number one, James 4. We already said, you do not have because you do not ask, but look what he says next. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I can try to put whatever ministry spin I want on that truck. I don't need that truck. I just like that truck. I want that truck. That's my own passions. I'm asking wrongly. That's why you appropriately laughed at the prayer. How ridiculous. This is what James is warning about. Then, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, parentheses, brackets, according to his will, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So there's constraining principles. We don't ask for our own lust and passion. We ask only according to the will of God. What does it mean to ask according to God's will? Well, that would take probably a whole other sermon. But what I would point out is that this is the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is not about changing the will of God. It's about conforming ourselves to the will of God. There's an author, E. Stanley Jones, he describes this concept like this. Prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook, like think an anchor, from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. So in light of these verses, in light of what Jesus is saying, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. What are we supposed to be asking for? Consider the context, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, what is he open with? Beatitudes. What are the Beatitudes about? Characteristic of a disciple. He took two weeks talking about the portrait of a disciple. Poor in spirit. Those who are meek. Those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are merciful. Those who are pure in heart. Peacemakers. Those who are persecuted. He then goes on to call the disciples salt and light. That they are to be salt and light. He calls his disciples to have a righteousness that even exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. He raises the bar on anger and lust and divorce and marriage. When we realize that He's saying it's the heart that matters, not just conformity to the law. He calls his disciples to a life of integrity, being men of their word, not retaliating against those who wronged them, instead responding with generosity. He even calls his disciples to love their enemies, to pray for those who persecute them. That's all Matthew chapter 5. And then you get to Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus was warning against hypocrisy. Don't think that your righteous living is what gets you into heaven. Warning against hypocrisy in giving and prayer and fasting. He encouraged them to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. He tells them that they shouldn't worry about anything. And last week, we opened up here, chapter 7, to find out that we're not to judge unjustly, and we need to address our own sin. 
before we move to the sin of someone else. What's the common thread through all of these things? This is all about righteous character. While we certainly should pray about health and jobs and physical needs, I do not believe this is what Jesus is talking about in this sermon on the mount. He is calling us to pray for kingdom character, for Christ-like character, for character that pleases the Father. This is not a Christmas list time where we can just get all the things that we want. This is character formation in the kingdom of God. Well, how do I get that? You pray. You pray for it. You pray. You ask for the things that only God can give. You ask for humility. You ask for wisdom. You ask for strength and patience. You ask for a generous heart. You ask for conviction over sin. You ask for help to forgive. You ask for focus and determination in the mission of God. And then you keep on asking because some of those are big words and hard things to actually do day after day. You think you might have to be a little persistent when it comes to forgiveness? When it comes to loving others? When it comes to being generous? Yes, but that's the point. Jesus says it's all available to you, but you've got to ask. You've got to persist. You've got to... Come and see what God has for you. But it has everything to do about God's character and what he wants to bring out of us. Not give to us so that we live an easier life here on this earth. The bottom line from verses 7 and 8 is to remember that our Father wants us to ask him. But the things we are to go to the Father about are things that will help us conform to the image of Christ. The things that are central to living the life God has for us. Is it essential for you to have the things you're asking for, to live the life that God calls you to? Think through that as you go through that step of thinking what you're going to articulate to God. That was all number one. But good news, we're moving to number two and three, and they go fast. So from here, knowing that our Father wants us to ask Him, which is rooted in His character, we learn more. Verses 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Our Father wants us to trust Him is number two. Number one was our Father wants us to ask Him. But now in this example, Jesus is saying, hey, God's worth trusting. God wants us to trust Him. He starts by telling us, earthly fathers know how to give good gifts. On Monday mornings, typically kind of my day off or relax and don't do much, but me and my family have been going hiking, and we pick a new trail, and we go with the kids, and it's always a good time. And I don't know if we were up late, but Stephanie was sleeping, and I was up early, but I was just tired, and the kids were up early. I was like, oh, here we go. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I'm, we're not going on a hike. So I think I asked Ainsley, I said, Ainsley, what do you want to do today? 
And she lights up real big. I want to go to the donut shop. Of course you do. And then I want to go to the dollar store. What do you want to get at the dollar store? Candy. Of course you do. And then I want to go get ice cream. (laughs) Okay. First of all, I'm glad that you're letting me know more about you and that you have my tendency toward sugar. But you know what I told her? No. I know, I'm a big meanie. No donuts, candy, and ice cream before noon. Why, though? Because it would not be good for her. Or me, because I have to deal with a sugar crash. She has to deal with a sore stomach, and no one wants to go to bed, and it's just, and then there's fighting and grumping and arguing. I know that this is, she's asking in total sincerity, I want to go do these things. I know this is not a good plan. But do you know what I still want to do? I want to do good things for my daughter and my boys. So we didn't do all of that. We went to IHOP. We went to IHOP instead. We had funny face pancakes or something. They're like chocolate, chocolate chip pancakes. They've got a smiley face. And there's also a little bit of eggs and bacon. That was good. It was fun. And you know what? My kids loved it. And we had a really nice time. We realized we hadn't been out to a restaurant together in a really long time. It was just really nice. That gave me pleasure. To see my kids having a good time. And you know what? They didn't even think about the dollar store and the ice cream. Thank goodness. Again, that day. But you know what Jesus says about me? Yeah, and you know what's good for your kids? And you're evil. And you're a sinner. Now he's not doing that to cut us down. Say how bad we are or evil we are. He's doing it by way of comparison. Like, listen, you got it. You give good things to your kids. That's a great desire. How much more then does God take pleasure in giving good gifts to his children? You know, there's also comfort here. Because I understand, and I don't know everyone's story, but, man, there are some who do not have good dads who did not have the experience of being able to go ask dad for candy or at least get a pancake out of the deal. There are some who have experienced very hard things with their parents and their fathers. But here's the good news. Even the best father on this earth is closer to the bad father than he is to God. We don't get our example of a good father from anybody other than God himself. We're broken. We're sinners. We should want to do good. But our trust is in who God is. He is a good father, which is why he invites us to trust him. I don't really have time somehow. I would go through a couple attributes of God here, and I'll just kind of name them. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Better to trust God who knows everything than me who is finite. That means he won't be wrong. He knows all the circumstances. He knows what I need when I need it. So I need to trust him because he knows everything. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. That means I, God says, I want you to trust me. I can handle this. 
He says in Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? So again, he's asking us, come to me. Come to me. Tell me. I, am, I can do it. Do you believe he can do it? Because if you do, it will change how you pray. But when it doesn't happen the way you think it does, we go back to he is all-knowing. And he is good. And he is sovereign. Everything that has happened has happened under his guide and care. And ultimately, it will be for our good and his ultimate glory. And this is what it tells us, that ultimately prayer is an act of faith. Prayer is an act of faith. That yes, early fathers know how to do good, but God is the definition of good. James, if anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. What's our faith in? God. Not the answer we're looking for. It's in God himself, in his character, in who he is. That's where our faith rests. And that's what allows us to release it to God and say, yep, I don't need to worry about that. I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep praying until I'm seeking and knocking until I find an answer or change my prayer. But I'm putting it in your hands. I trust you. You are a good, loving Father who is omniscient and omnipotent and sovereign, and I'm trusting in that. Even the best dad in the world can't compare to God. So then, the last attribute that Jesus points to, our Father wants us to imitate Him. You know, look at this carefully. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. What does that have to do about God or Father or any of it? Well, it's the first word. So, therefore, because God wants us to ask and because we can trust him and he has given us everything, Therefore, we are now able to do to others what we hope they would do for us. For this is the law of the prophets. This actually isn't, it is original to Jesus, but there's a common thread throughout history. Philosopher like Socrates basically said, don't do to others what would make you angry if they did it to you. Um, Jewish tradition Whatever you don't want people to do to you, well, don't do that to them. Buddhism, Hinduism, um, even the British Humanist Society, don't do things you wouldn't want to have done to you. Same theme. 500 years before Christ, after Christ, we see these themes, but there's a common thread. The common thread is don't do what you don't want people to do to you. But Jesus puts it the other way, and it's significant. He puts it in the positive Do unto others what you would have them do to you. Why is that significant? Well, everyone puts it in the the negative because that's a whole lot easier. That means if you just do nothing, you're good. That's virtuous. Don't do anything. Jesus, once again, raises the bar. He doesn't just want us to not do bad things. He wants us to pursue doing good things. He doesn't just want us to stop sinning. He wants us to start pursuing loving others. To give you a quick example of how this works out, the rest of everybody would say, hey, if you don't want to be stolen from, then don't steal. 
Jesus would say, hey, be generous. Which one's harder, not stealing or being generous? Exactly. What do we do? We pray for a generous heart so that we can become who Christ has called us to become. He's calling us to be active in our, in our love towards others. This is what verse 12 is about. It's not just a reciprocal relationship. It's a Jesus-fueled and empowered relationship with others. He says, this is the law and the prophets. It comes up, this phrase comes up several different times. And what it's telling us every time is this is what the law was always pointing to. Jesus said it another way in Matthew 22, right? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, for this is the first and great commandment. But the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourselves. This is the culmination of the law and the prophets found in the person of Jesus. As we end, you two quick thoughts. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done. Jesus reached into the lives of the outcast, the broken, the lost, because of their need, not his. Jesus, out of his wealth, gives good gift to his children. Jesus willingly endured the cross, extending forgiveness to even those who crucified him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus gives us an example to follow. And so in imitating him, we begin to understand how to live out this principle in relation to the others around us. Which also means that our actions must flow out of his power. We can try all we want to treat others like we want to be treated. But without the grace of God at work in our lives, you're not going to get very far on your own. Where do I get this power? Verse 7 and 8. Pray. Ask. Seek. Not. Good news. You ask for these things. God says it's yours. It's coming for you. As one pastor put it, we need the good stuff from God to give away the good stuff to others. This is all rooted and grounded, not in prayer, but in who God is. It's in knowing and understanding God that informs our prayer and informs our actions. He wants us to ask Him. So keep on asking. He wants us to trust Him. So keep on trusting. He wants us to imitate Him. So keep on imitating. These are the things that we ought to be praying for. These are the things that I believe Jesus says we will get when we ask. This is what will enable us to sing in just a moment. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Everything is a gift from God. Prayers are opportunity to receive from Him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray for those in, in the room who may not have uh, received the greatest gift of all, forgiveness through Jesus. That journey, too, begins in prayer. That if we would believe in our heart and confess with our mouths, we will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I pray that prayer has been said. 
in faith by everyone in this room and for those who have that we might consider what it would look like if we took Jesus at, its word, at his word. What it would look like to go to him with all of our, our requests, asking him to shape us into what he would have us to be, asking for the good gifts that only he can give, believing that he is good, that he will be faithful to his word. Lord, help us be marked by prayer, be evidenced by faith, and fueled by the power of God in us, so that we might proclaim the glorious truths of the gospel to a lost and hurting world. In your name we pray, amen.